Welcome to A Day in the Why, a podcast where I talk with fascinating folks about the jobs they've held, the things they've learned, and how well those line up with their values and goals. You may just learn something, but I hope you'll at least laugh along with us as we dive into the mistakes we've made, the lessons we've learned, and the secrets behind how we got where we are today and where we're going tomorrow. Welcome to the latest episode of A Day in the Why. Today's guest is Donna Spencer, a simply delightful design consultant I first met about nine years ago in Michigan, of all places. A friend of mine, Christian, had given me some wise counsel a couple years prior. 2011 sounds about right. Given my goal of getting back into design after a number of years in technical leadership roles, he suggested I immerse myself in user experience material, including some tried and true design conferences. So along with devouring books, jumping at chances to speak, and publishing short articles on design topics, I journeyed to Grand Rapids in 2013 and was very fortunate to meet Donna and some other leading UX minds of the day. Despite being a respected, published, and practicing designer with scads of experience, she was kind to me, a UX noob, trying to get up to speed quickly by building on an old school design background. We've kept in touch sporadically over the years, and our interests and availability aligned for this episode of A Day in the Why. Welcome to the show, Donna. Thank you. That was a really nice intro. I do try to be kind to everybody. <laughs> I'm really happy we're here today uh, together virtually uh, because we've both been thinking hard about topics like finding meaning in, in one's job and, and finding the right fit and mm. creating a path for yourself. Yep. I know you've made some changes in your day-to-day -day somewhat recently. and uh, you, you ran into some perhaps unforeseen side effects of being a quote unquote famous UX author. <laughs> Maybe you can sketch a really quick background of who you are, what you've done in the design scene over the years. Does that feel like a good place to start? That sounds, that sounds great. Um, so I've been working, you know, as a practicing designer, um, that isn't what we've always called it. There was times when it was usability practitioner. There were times when we called it information architect. Right now, and in our context, designer is a um, good enough term. And I've been doing that for 20-ish years. Um, and, you know, through that process, I'm a fairly sharing person, which I think we'll probably talk about a bit later as well. Uh, and so I've, you know, always spoken at conferences and I've written five books, some of them pretty skinny, but I've still written five books, which means that, like, so I see myself as just like a kind of fairly regular person. But it means that because I have, you know, been on stage, I also ran a large conference here in Australia, so I'm, you know, fairly well known. People, this is like really weird to, to think about. Um, people think of me as something, you know, relatively special. And I was at a point in my career where I changed cities. And although I had a fairly good network, the network wasn't really there for people just to call me up for work. So, which is how I'd previously gotten work in, you know, a previous city because people knew me there and they knew to call me and, you know, people would approach me to do projects. So I moved to the, I moved and the projects didn't come to me. So I had to kind of learn how do I get work? And I tried to like apply for contract work and I got, I got lots of, you know, not even rejections. I just got lots of, being completely ignored and it was really completely really ghosted weird. yeah yeah because I was really experienced and it was just like what the hell is happening um and so I got a bit of I got some contract work and then for a couple of months 
somebody approached me about a permanent position. I'm like, okay, well, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give that a go. Did that for a year or so. Didn't worked out okay. <laughs> Wasn't perfect. Uh, then like I picked up another piece of contract work that somebody approached me for, did that for a while through COVID and got again to a point where I was like, okay, I need to, I need to find work. And again, um, I'm like, what, what do I, I applied for things and got no answers. <laughs> I'm like, what is going on? And, um, I finally decided that I would kind of make a little bit of a little bit of noise about it on LinkedIn. And I said, Oh, it's because somebody actually had said to me, oh, I didn't want to approach you because I thought you'd be too busy and too famous. I'm like, is that what's going on? So I said on LinkedIn, I'm I'm available, I'm not too famous, um, I'm not <laughs> too busy. And a bunch of people responded to that and said, oh, yeah, we were thinking of you, but we thought you'd be too busy. And this is through a period where I'm like, how do I keep paying my bills? Uh, and... And so once I said it, it was also a good, it was a chance to like throw my ego away and stop saying, stop thinking that people needed to come to me right? because I was so special that, um, you know, people should approach me for work for me to actually go, you know what, the best way to find work is to say, hello world, I am actually available. I would like to do these kind of things. And actually I'm, you know, not too busy, too famous, to anything to work with you. Um, and guess what? That actually worked. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's certainly what caught my attention as far as, you know, oh, I hadn't heard from Don in a while. And then I saw that post and I was like, I, because at the time I was deep in a job search myself, uh, mm-hmm. a lengthy one. Um, as an aside, how, how long would you say that you were in that period of, you know, looking and, and not getting any kind of traction because of this, you know, unnoticed effect? Oh, a, a good couple of years. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And so I wasn't then looking for work that whole time. I had, you know, picked up some con- a contract. I then picked, you know, took a year in a job. But in that time that I was in a job, nobody was saying, hey, Donna, come do a project for us. And I'm like, oh, this has really gone away. And you were a consultant. I mean, it was your thing to pick up individual, yeah. uh, you know, uh, temporary gigs and move from one to the other and, and apply your expertise and solve the problems yeah. and then move on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I don't, yeah, I, I liked doing project-based consulting. I liked starting something, delivering the thing that I needed to, wrapping it up and, and going away. I didn't actually love doing kind of in-house contract work where you're just there for three months as a body. But, um, you know, I was also like, well, um, this is what the work looks like. Um, and I don't, I didn't want to, I like, I like the flexibility of, um of, of contracting and freelancing as well. So I wasn't quite ready to do the exceptional amount of research that's needed to take a permanent job. But it was beginning to grow in the back of your mind that that might be the next step in, in the evolution, with or no, without, I, I guess, no. the contract. No? I was fully intending on keeping contracting, uh, <laughs> except that this last time when I said, hey, I'm available. Um, somebody who I already knew and who I'd seen post on LinkedIn that he was doing a new thing. And I was like, that sounds really interesting. So when I said I'm available and he said, hey, Donna, let's chat. And we chatted. I'm like, okay, this is something that I could do, that I could commit to, that I wouldn't feel like I'm taking a risk by committing to it, that I can trust uh, will be, you know, at least, I mean, you can't, you can't tell the future, but you can 
you can hear that I've kind of had some bad experiences with work. I'm a little bit burned by, you know, some things where I'm like, I'm, 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 I can be nervous uh, taking something on where, which is also why contracting um, was fine. Cause if it doesn't work out, it's, it's fine. So, but this, the, the, these people who I'm now working with, um, I knew well enough uh, and I respected like mad, but I'm like, I could make a commitment to you. You had enough and, positive signals coming to you that, that it was overwhelming your, your natural yeah, reticence. Yeah. 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 There was enough positive signals. Like, okay. <laughs> let's do this. <laughs> but I think you, you, you made it clear that, that this wasn't something you were locking yourself into, that you were still going to be able to, to have the freedom and flexibility to do whatever you wanted outside of the, the responsibilities of that particular role. Right. Yeah, yeah, I've still got plenty of, and I and I took, um, you know, first thing I said was, can I work four days? Because one of the things that I do like doing and that I have done for the last couple of years is um, tutor um, at for a couple of universities. So in like at some point of the year, I um, often tutor undergraduate, uh, an undergraduate UX capstone class. Um, and at other times of the year, I tutor some boot camp style programs. Um, uh, and you know, I also like sew and weave and do lots of crafty things. And I eventually want to, like, I'm still aiming at my, you know, grown up job, which is to set up a sewing school. So I didn't <laughs> want, you know, I wanted the flexibility to be able to, um, you know, to still take on those kind of things that interest me. So I immediately said, you know, can I work four days? And they're like, yeah, of course. Um, so that still gives me, like, you've, you've just heard me say it a ton of times, like flexibility and variety. That still gives me that freedom. <laughs> I think if these words you know, you're using are coming up this, a lot. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I, you know? I was just like reflecting. I'm like, I'm really not good at commitment. Um, uh, so, yeah, I, I've committed to something, but I still have, the, have some, I, I'm, I don't feel locked in and I don't feel tense about it. <laughs> Well, you know, you're using these words a lot too, but this, these yeah. are words that are kind of resonating across the last couple of years and more and more people are kind of raising their head and, and saying, no, this, this isn't working for me anymore. If you want yeah. to keep me, you're going to have to, you know, parlay. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to have to come to terms. Uh, maybe I'm, maybe that's working from home. Uh, maybe that's four days yeah. a week. Uh, maybe that's the understanding that, no, I'm not just going to work for you. I'm going to work for, for them and them and them. Yeah. And Hey, yeah. you can call foul if my performance drops at all, but otherwise, yeah. you know, we have to to have that kind of arrangement. Yeah, and one of the things that's been working out like super well um, over the last few weeks is I've just moved house. Um, I needed to do a bunch of um, um, emergency repairs to the house I've moved into, so I needed to be able to work around, you know, plumbers and electricians and not take time off. So I've been working flexibly around that. I might, I can do some time in the morning. I can talk to the electrician. I can do some some work while they're here. I can do some stuff, and I can you know finish up things that I might need to do uh, later. So I've also got that some nice flexibility around. You know, I've got I've got work that needs to be achieved, but nobody's saying Donna, please sit at your desk nine to five and prove that you're <laughs> prove that you're present. I'd prefer to actually like be proving that I'm delivering than proving that I'm present. Well, yeah. Do, do you want a, a, a body and a seat or do you want, you know, valuable output? Yeah. 
I'd prefer <laughs> to deliver valuable output. And, and you know, I, I don't reckon we're really suited to eight hours body in a seat. I mean, even if we get up and have a cup of tea, I reckon my brain hits about five hours and I'm like, I'm kind of done. I, there's not much more here if I've done five, you know, good productive hours. I, it's nice to be able to go, okay, mm, I'm feeling tired, low energy, like my, I've, I've done enough. Why don't I go and go for a walk or pick up some groceries or, you know, paint a wall? <laughs> and then I'll come back and do some more when I've like refreshed my brain. Yeah, the, the rituals of, of being able to switch tracks is really refreshing. Yeah. I know you said you uh, recently, you know, moved uh, from place to place, but you also moved cities. We haven't really uh, addressed the fact that you're not a local compared to most of my audience here, right? No, where are you, where are you broadcasting from? <laughs> we didn't introduce that, did we? Um, your audience uh, will be able to tell that my accent is not the same as yours. So I live, uh, I live in Melbourne, Australia, and I, you know, I am Australian. I grew up Australian. Uh, that's why I speak such good Australian. <laughs> speak good australian yes yep. uh no I've, I've always enjoyed uh, uh talking to you not just because of your accent but because you you've got a really good <laughs> sense of humor uh and then you 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 laugh in australian too so that that's great oh, absolutely <laughs> <laughs> well that was it was helpful uh for a little background i like to ask this and this kind of references your your whole career in design leadership, but including all the writing years and all the teaching years and all the, the conference uh, management years, mm. if you could uh, minimize or, or surgically remove some aspect of that career, what would that be, if, if anything? Oh, um, so there was certainly, um, there's certainly times in my career where, so there, I've been a, at least half-time to full-time single parent for, oh, I don't know, like something like 14 years. Like my daughter's now, you know, 23, but I broke up with her dad when she was eight. And we shared, we shared care of her, but it meant, to, you know, a lot of time I was, uh, you know, I had her half-time. Um, uh, and that meant that I was the only person who was going to put food in our mouths. There was no, there's no buffer there. Um, so there were lots of times when um, just because of necessity, and I was also, like I was working in um, Canberra, which is a government town. It's not very large. Um, there wasn't a lot of, you know, high quality um, UX work um, there through the late, late 2000s. Um, so a lot of times I just took work that came my way. Just paid the bills. Um, to pay the bills. Now, so uh, that meant that I didn't have um, ever a like, really good focus on like where I wanted my career to go or what path, you know, I wanted to follow. I didn't like structure and have and set goals and figure out what I wanted to do with myself, um, which also, you know, kind of uh, definitely led, led to that spot where I was in a spot where I'm like, oh, hang on, what do I, how do I, how do I do this mm -hmm. thing? The reason, though, that I wouldn't surgically remove it really is because by taking work that kind of was just available, I learned a lot of really interesting things. So if I took a piece of work um, that was, you know, a bit of information architecture work but also needed some content writing, then I could say, well, I can do that too. Um, and then I would just kind of do some content writing, which meant that I got a bit of a skill there. Usually when I picked up a piece of work like that, 
um, it would it would present initially as one thing that needed to be done, and then the people I would work with would realise that I'm you know good to work with, enjoyable to work with, and and produce quality. And they like me go, can you help us with this? Can you help us with this? Can you help us with this? So I learned a lot of things that you don't necessarily get if you um, are like set on a goal of I want to you know be going here and doing these things, and I'm going to be really strategic about the work I pick up. So I, you know, I, I learned, a, uh, there was one role where uh, I was, we were working in an agile team. I'd worked agile before our product manager um, went on holidays. The product had a big pivot. Um, I had to pick up, you know, the product management and also the agile coaching at the same time um, and, you know, and lead a team. And I learned a lot from doing that and I'm glad that I did it but really I was there to do some usability testing <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I guess if you'd had blinders on or, or you were you know too quote-unquote too proud to take that kind of work yeah. uh, too discriminating etc you wouldn't have had the experience of learning those practices and you yeah. wouldn't have I think a tangible increase in confidence from from picking up new skills that yeah. spreads across everything. Yeah, and it means that I mean, when I when I do talk with people about like the kind of work that I like doing, I always say I like working in multidisciplinary teams where we just dive in and get done what's done, what needs doing. Sorry, um, and I can do that because I've got a really broad skill set. I don't do programming, but I do loads and loads and loads of other things that a team needs. I don't just do wireframes. I don't just do kind of strategic design. I we can. We'll, I'll, I'll I'll do that bit. I'll do that bit. I can help you out. I can do the testing. <laughs> well, I can say I had I have trouble. I was I was just jotting down some notes uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, pre- preparing for this, and I, you know it was like Donna, comma, et cetera, et cetera, a designer, and then I kind of backspaced and said an information architect. Then I backspaced and said a, a, mm. a consultant. Then I backspaced and I'm like, okay, this is tough. This is tough. Yeah. <laughs> and it also is why when I was applying for jobs, people would look at my I don't know. I mean, clearly I don't know what's happening there. But I think people would look at my um, my CV and go, "Oh, she doesn't fit into a box. She doesn't fit into this box. Um, too bad. I'm, it's too hard. I'll find somebody who fits into the box easily." So we've talked about you know kind of broad strokes. What what do you think early on? What would you say the the most influential stepping stones were in your life that that led to this path? You didn't just spring full formed into this design consultant able to do all these things. Was that the influence of family or friends or a first job that you held over the summer? Or what does that look like? Um, yeah, like I, I came into it in, a, in an eclectic way as well because I was just working in a government job um, and this opportunity popped up in a team and I learned about usability testing and information architecture, you know, back in the, uh, I don't know, this would have been probably 2000. Um, and I think that, I think that what really is kind of fundamental is that I'm I've always been good at figuring out stuff from first principles and I don't know whether this is just my brain I can't I can't trace it back to anything that you know put me on a path but the thing that I know about myself is that instead of you know kind of going okay well how does everybody else do it what's the best practice I go okay what are we trying to do here and I can unpick and like start something from scratch and that meant that I've been able to pick up a lot of skills as I've gone. But I, I think that kind of related to your question, like my family are all a hands-on, practical, creative family. My mum's a dressmaker. My dad is an electrician, but he um, also um, 
you know, like did extensions on our house and I watched him build and he was good. He's really good with cars. So we're all really hands-on and we're all really good at making things. And we're all, we're, we're all good at like that kind of that style of problem solving of I need to get a thing working in a way. How do I do it? Uh, so I think those skills come from, you know, the, the, my family, my sister and brother are exactly the same. Um, like we're all kind of good at just figuring out how to make something that needs to be made. Um, and that certainly fits really nicely into a design career of, you know, being able to unpick a problem and figure out how to, how to solve the problem, but not in a way of like, oh, yeah, that website looks like that website, so I'm going to make wireframes. But, you know, like what are we really doing here? Um, well, yeah, problem solving. And then by, by definition, yeah. to do that, you have to define the problem, right? You have to understand the problem. Yeah, and I think that's something that I've always just easily been able to to do. What was the uh, the government job that you were in? Was it it wasn't design related at all? I'm guessing. No, no. See, like, uh, uh, you know, when I went to university, um, like, I don't come from a well off family at all. Uh, I put myself uh, I put myself through university um, um, in Australia at the time. I got my first year of university paid for by the government, but in my second year, the government brought in fees and they're not anywhere near the kind of volume that, you know, tuition is in the US. Uh, but I didn't have any help. I had to, I, I, I put myself through university. I worked three jobs, you know, I, I, I had to pay my, my own way. I had to, um, sure. I, just, I didn't have any support and nor did I expect to. So I got out of the end of university um, without a very good quality degree. Like my my economics degree is full of passes because I was working three jobs <laughs> trying to put myself through uni, which meant that I got out without job offers and I joined the government. But I, I topped, uh, the, the way to get into the government at the time is you'd, you'd sit a test um, and I topped the test. Uh, you know, I'm, actually, I'm pretty smart. I just didn't get very well in my degree because I had to, Work three jobs. So I just joined the government. I was living in Canberra and uh, I, <laughs> I started in a filing um, um, part of an organisation, you know, running around doing files. I eventually moved um, a couple of departments and I ended up working at the Bureau of Statistics, which was really great because I like, you know, have a natural affinity for maths and statistics anyway. Um, and so I was working there. I used to publish our labour force survey. So um, kind of just routine government work. And that's where, that's where I found the web because um, somebody on the web team said, hey, we need, we need a person who can help us with this implementation where our website's going from about 10,000 pages to about, you know, a couple hundred thousand because they put their statistical catalogue on. Maybe we should have some, kind of, should have some kind of behind that. A system behind that. <laughs> this is like early, early information architecture yeah. as well. And yeah. like, okay, that seems pretty good. And that's where I learned about usability and information architecture. But the timing was kind of perfect. Man, that, that is perfect. Just so you know, you said something about um, you know having to get put together uh, statistical reports, and 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 inwardly, I, I died a little bit because that that description would not have uh, would not have made me join. I, I would not have signed <laughs> up for that, and and I would not have then learned all the things that you learned. So. <laughs> <laughs> I want to switch gears for a little bit and talk yep. about values and goals. And you, and you mentioned goals earlier, uh, not really having clear goals in mind. Uh, I, I've come to believe that many of us don't actively reflect on our values and goals very often. 
Mm. But I've, I've found that stepping through that exercise can be really valuable, especially when you've gone through life changes or lots of time has passed since mm. you've last sat down and kind of run through that, that kind of exercise. Yeah. You get to see if your values have changed and whether you're using your time in a way that's in alignment with your yeah. current values and goals, whether or not you know what those are. Once yeah. you know what they are, you can make that check. Yeah. So could you sum up the the values you hold most dear and, and be as general or specific as you like? Yeah, I've, I'm glad you um, gave me some, uh, I mean, you gave me some warning about this, but I also listened to the interview that where you were interviewed on your podcast. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. Where you were interviewed by a colleague friend. And, um, and I'm glad you gave me some heads up because I'm not, um, I don't think about my values very much. Like I don't have them articulated. And so I started thinking, okay, what are the things where I react in a way? That's probably a way of figuring out what my values really are, where I've like, where I come out of, you know, myself to, to react against something. And like some of that is about um, certainly about like I, uh, I would say that I have strong values in sharing. Um, and sharing and educating and teaching. So like that is certainly a really core part of me. Um, I've been, and so I, I, you know, I knew that we would talk about it um, through the the discussion. Um, sure. I started as a, like a trainer at McDonald's when I was 14. Um, I've always ended up in roles where I've mentored. Um, I've always, you know, thought about how to assemble things that I know and be able to teach it. Um, so that's what, that's part of my conference involvement is, you know, be, is, is, you know, teaching and sharing what I've learned. That's why I put time aside to do, um, tutoring at university. So clearly that like, and, you know, I was talking to somebody the other day about, um, uh, these things as well. And they're like, oh no, I kind of don't do that. And I'm like, yeah, to me, like being able to share what I know is super important. I also have, I don't know how to phrase this kind of value, but I know that the times that I've reacted to situations are often when I see people who aren't able to not kind of stand up for themselves, but who are in a situation that's hurting them, but they don't have the power to do something about it. So I've certainly been in organizations where I'm perceived as a troublemaker (laughs) um, because I'm um, defending or um, acting on behalf of other people. So you're um, making waves, but not for yourself, for, for someone else who isn't able to, to engineer yeah. any kind of a change. And that's not always obvious to the people who are seeing me make waves. <laughs> it's, re- it's rarely the, the obvious to the people who are seeing me make waves. But, um, like, clearly, you know, I, I, I don't just go to be a troublemaker because I, want, I feel like I want to make trouble. I only make trouble when I'm... When I see something that, you know, is, is, is really bothering me or I see something that is really hurting people. So I don't know what you would call that, but I certainly, like, that's certainly like, you know, part of my, my value set is, you know, not well, protective, like, I guess you, 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 you're protective. You, you like to, to defend there. or protect or guide. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's, there's an alignment there with teaching as well. Right. I'd say so. Yeah. Yeah. Cause teaching's okay. all about, it's teaching's all about seeing where somebody is now and figuring out ways of getting them where they want to go. Uh, and the same kind of thing. Yeah. This is, that's a really good insight. Like seeing somebody in a position where 
they can't, you know, be their best or can't do what they need to do because something's happening. And being in a position to go, I shine ahead, I'm going to make some waves and get right. that resolved so that you can get out of that situation. Yeah, there's, there, there's that some kind of care for people um, going on there. I guess in teaching, they're, they're perhaps they're kind of in a neutral spot and you're looking to, to you know, help them into an advantage spot. Whereas mm. on, the, on the flip side, they're in a negative spot, a dangerous yeah. spot, and you're, you're helping them get to safety. Right. Yeah. But you're, you're in yep. both cases, you're, you're looking to apply your, your expertise, your ability, your insights, um, your, your, your fortune, uh, in, in life and, and helping them yep. change theirs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. And they're, they're the, they're the situations where I kind of feel it in my gut where I'm like, okay, I've got to do something about this. So yeah, I think they're my kind of quite core values. It's and interesting. There's something, how you... there's something about being creative as well and making things. I don't know if that's a value or just, but I like I literally couldn't live if I couldn't like make things with my hands. Um, yeah, I don't know how I'd phrase that either. I mean, is, yeah. it, is it that you value you know exploring your potential or exploring you know the unknown or et cetera, et cetera? But I, I get you. It's just you feel you're driven to make. Yeah. Okay. What about, uh, are there any goals that you've got that are kind of in line with these values? And, and by the way, I really like how you kind of described el- eliciting your values by, by kind of <laughs> listening to that, that quiet current. It's like you're watching a river and you see where the river kind of bubbles up. You're like, oh, there must be a rock there. I yeah. can't see the rock, but I, I can see the presence of the rock, right? Yeah. I, I can't yeah. see the value, but I can see the presence of the value. <laughs> so there must be something there. <laughs> that, that line up with these um, underwater values. So, um, you know, we started talking about that, my kind of uh, uh, finding employment journey. And a couple of years ago, I thought, okay, tech is becoming difficult for me because I'm getting older. I felt like I was um, seeing some ageism in this process. Um, I was starting to worry that I wasn't going to get work in my field as I, you know, as I got older. And I'm like, okay, what am I going to do? The thing that I really, 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 really want to do, and as I've always wanted to do, is <laughs> is teach people how to sew, like teach people how to make things as well. Like, you know, those just things come together. So I why, started. Why do you giggle so much at that? Why, why is that so funny? <laughs> It's so funny because it seems like, like I say it to myself and it seems like something little, but it's actually, then it goes back to those values, like values I just talked about. Like to, wanting to teach people to sew and wanting to teach them to make something seem small to me when I say it out loud. But underneath it, what I'm really about is I want to teach people to be able to make things so they can feel amazing in themselves. Because, you know, being able to sew means that you can create what you want to do and express how you want to express no matter what kind of body you're in where you know often going to the shops is really disheartening and you're like nothing here suits me or fits me being able to teach people how to do that for themselves is actually quite amazing but you know there's just something in my head that went you know teaching people how to sew seems small um so I I I I kind of started thinking about how I would do that and I started thinking about what I might need to set up and what kind of things I would need physically. Like clearly I was going to need to have a space where I could, um, you know, actually, you know, have sewing machines and tables and things like that. And then I stumbled across this um, property that I've now bought that has, it's an old shop. So there's a big shop in the front and then a, a house on the back of it. And I'm like, oh my God, there's my thing. Okay. <laughs> So now it's like I'm, this, I'm on this path. I'm still working in tech. Um, I'm still 
doing great work um, designing, you know, uh, you know, interesting products. Um, but I know that I'm on a path of setting up really to spend like the, you know, a, the, the, a really long chunk of my time teaching people how to make things and really teaching people how to feel good about themselves. Because clothing is such an expression of, our, of who we are. Do you think you're going to be limited to physical, physically present students or is there any way you could teach remotely this, this type of thing? Or is it just too tactile, too analog to, to really be efficient? It can be taught remotely. Um, but, you know, if I, have a, if I have the ability to choose how I will do this, I will start with students physically. Okay. Um, doing it remotely is actually quite a different activity. Like I could teach people how to sew remotely. I could, um, you know, set up classes. I could create videos. I could create remote content the actual thing that turns into really is a marketing activity because then I have to get it to people. If I teach people how to sew, you know, in my studio, I only need kind of, I don't know, six to eight people at once who are interested in doing it. I don't have to make the whole thing about a big marketing activity, but putting a lot of effort into creating online content needs a bigger audience to make it worthwhile. So yes, I could do it at a distance, but no, it's not my preference. Yeah. No, doing the marketing of it isn't where my heart is. Like my heart is, but and and there and there really is a tactile element, especially for fitting. Like of just being able to help people understand. Like if you go like if you if you pinch it here, I shouldn't go if you go like this because we're on audio. But if you pinch it there <laughs> and we and you change that seam and and we do a little thing here with our hands. For my listeners, she's being very pinchy. She's she's doing lots very, of claw motions. Yes. With my fingers, yeah. <laughs> Well, I, I asked about that because my my uh, my daughter just got a sewing machine for Christmas, uh-huh. and uh, she's she's very much a maker, a creator, uh, a designer right. of, in her own right. She's she's looking forward to that, and I've been not amazed, but it's been interesting how few local instructors there are for that sort of oh, thing yeah. anymore. Yeah. yeah, and so yeah, if if I find someone local, then they'll, they'll be a, more of a treasure than just yeah. about any other you know person who would teach you a trade or a craft, just because yeah. there's a scarcity there. Mm. There, there's just something with, with doing it remotely as well that means you have to do everything with language instead of by showing like if, if she's got something that she's working on I have to then say okay pick up the left hand piece and fold it over so it sits really neatly on the right hand piece and line this up and pin the pins you know horizontally <laughs> along it yeah there's um, a barrier there's a translation that you have to go through that's really clunky yeah, where where I could, sh- if she was here, I could show her one time. I could unpin it. I could get her to do it herself. She'd learn with her hands. So yeah, the the the, the teaching in words is hard as well. All achievable, but um, if I can teach, you know, physical humans, it'll be it's way funner. I get the sense too that you, you kind of you've done so much in terms of marketing, in terms of producing content for sale, in terms of more the commercial end of creation that it feels like this is maybe a little bit of a, a, a rebound or a reaction back to the more analog, the more personable, the more touchable, the more, you know, no strings attached, none of this other stuff, the, the crust yeah. of modern civilization that you, you don't really get anything out of. Yeah. And it doesn't get to the heart of what you're really looking to do here. Yeah. At the way, like I can, I can just have people, people to talk to in my studio and I can show them how to do some things and we can have a chat. Like that's what I really want is like I actually really what the thing I really want is like connection with people and a chat. 
Yeah, I totally get that. I mean, that that was one of the main people like, why don't you do a podcast? I'm like, well, A, so I can like have conversations with real people in real time. Yeah. You know, uh, that, that that's a big win. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. So you have been pretty productive uh, across your career. How do you get stuff done? Uh, what works for you? Are there any uh, tips or tricks or rituals, habits or practices that you fill influenced your success and work and remaining aligned with really what you've discovered are your, your core values? Uh, you can probably tell I'm naturally a fairly organized person. You know, I certainly wouldn't have gone into work like information architecture and arranging and structuring content and, you know, working through large amounts of things and, and organizing them if I wasn't kind of naturally a fairly, fairly organized anyway. So, um, like, I always have um, you know, things like to-do lists. Like I don't carry around things in my head. I, a long, long time ago, read Dave Allen's Getting Things Done and it really clicked with me. Um, and in that he talks a lot about like making sure that you're, like the worst thing for you to be carrying around a list of things that need to be done is in your head. So you externalise that um, and make sure it's in a place where um, you'll be reminded to do the thing when you need to do the thing. So, um, you know, getting stuff out of my head and writing them, writing it down. Really, knowledge absolutely, in the world. Knowledge in the world. Yeah. So I clearly, like I have on my, I have a shopping list <laughs> for groceries. So, and I also went, um, I also like have a Google home. So when I'm in the kitchen and I've ran out of coffee, I can yell at my, my thing and then say, hey, add this thing to my shopping list, which means then that when I'm at the store, I can go, what did I need? And it's all there. Like it's there already. I'm not carrying around in my head, oh, no, I need, I need coffee, I need coffee, I need coffee. So just being that level of organised and making sure I externalise things is a great life trick. And then for bigger projects, like I actually sit down and plan them and I write everything down and I get it out there. So, you know, clearly I'm about, I'm doing this big renovation project. I'm renovating a whole house. There is a lot of things. Like I can't paint the walls unless I've bought the paint. I can't buy the paint unless I've figured out what color it needs to be. I can't figure out what color it needs to be unless I've already kind of done some design work. So I track back a lot of those activities. Um, and again, in getting things done, it's something like, what is the, ne what is the next thing you can actually do on this? Right. Um, like what's the next task you can do? So the task isn't paint the walls. The task is figure out what the room design is so that you can buy right paint, so that you can choose the right colour, so that you can buy the right paint, so you can have the paint here, so you can paint the walls. Yeah, it's the next possible thing or the, the adjacent the, possible, yeah. Yeah, work on, a lot of people work <laughs> on the I need to paint the walls kind of level, but that doesn't help actually achieve it. So that level of being organised is, is a good life hack. I some people start projects and don't really finish them. I actually finish them. <laughs> I work right through them. I get them done. I, I feel a lot of pride and achievement in finishing something, tidying it up, wrapping it up and saying this is done and it's completely done. It's not just that I finished painting, but I finished painting, I've removed the the mess. I've like swept the floor, whatever I need to do to make sure that it's like beyond the job is, is, is done. So the job doesn't finish when it looks like it's finished. I'm good at actually completing um, and finishing work. And then um, I've always got a, like a backlog of things that I want to do and I've got that listed written down. I've got like a huge 
backlog of like sewing patterns that I want to try and things I want to do. I keep them all again. So I don't have to keep them in my head. And when I'm like, Oh, kind of, I feel like I feel like doing some sewing. What do I want? Like, I can look up my inspiration and go, "Oh, that'd be cool." Why don't I go do that? I, I'm, I'm laughing. I'm laughing <laughs> yeah. because I literally have as part of my my next uh, bit here is what are some areas that you think you can stand some improvement? And I give the example of for me that's staying organized and finishing projects, right. like verbatim. Right. <laughs> that's what I've got. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I think I, this is just easy for me. And it's not easy for everybody. A lot of times it's easy to start and not easy to maintain the momentum to, you know, through the boring bit. Again, like painting is boring, but I also make sure I've got some audio books that I really want to listen to. Um, so I, I make sure that I make the work fun as well. So you have to do that. So all my craft projects, there's always something else going on. I'm always listening to some podcasts or listening to an audio book, something that. Um, like elevates the repetitive work. Um, so I'm not just going, oh, this is boring. Because otherwise these things could seem quite boring. So, I mean, you've got to deal with the passage of time to get the thing done, but you can make the yeah. passage of time more pleasant. Yeah. Yeah. And some people do it with music. When my daughter's here and we're painting together, we're like, what year shall we listen to? So we choose a year and find a playlist and we listen to the music from the year. And it's super mm. fun. And it makes the, you know, painting of walls a really great activity. <laughs> <laughs> but another thing I have done in the past, and I probably, I think I'm about, I probably need to do this over the next couple of weeks again, just to get a bit more work organized is like time block stuff. So go, okay, over this week, these are the things that need to be achieved. Okay. I need to put like 40% into this thing, 20% into this thing, um, you know, 10% into this thing and know what my priorities are. Uh, I don't think I've been doing this great over the last couple of weeks just because of a bit of distraction, but know what my priorities are. I'm like, uh, so I don't kind of just react to somebody asking me to do a thing to go, okay, these, these are where I need to, to focus. And I've done that before with like time blocking out my calendar. So I'm going to spend two hours on a thing, then I'm going to have some lunch and then I'll spend two hours on a different thing and then I'll do some admin. Um, so I've done that at times when I feel like I'm getting a little bit scattered. Mm -hmm. uh, it works for a while and, and then I'm less scattered and I don't need the structure anymore. One thing that I've, I've found really helpful in the last few years is you mentioned people like to start things and, and mm -hmm. I've definitely been guilty of that, but it's not so much that I like to start things is that I'm confident that I can do things. Okay. And for a while I thought, well, if I can do it, I should do it. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I've gotten better at saying no or saying not right now. Right. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, brew, brewing beer, for example, that's something oh. that I would love to do at some point. I don't have time for it. I don't really have the room for it. I don't yeah. have any of the equipment. And I know if I went down that rabbit hole, there's a lot of other yeah. things I wouldn't be able to do. So yeah. I'm just saying yeah. not right now. Not right now. Yeah. Stick it on your backlog. You can read about it in between. You can be aware of it. So you see the kind of inspiring things. Yeah. But it's there when you're ready when you've got a gap. I've nibbled at it a little bit by doing some adjacent stuff. I, I fly mm -hmm. a drone commercially and, and, and do, you know, mm -hmm. uh, videography and still shots and whatnot. And so I, I met a, a local brewer, a master brewer, mm -hmm. who's been doing this for 30, 40 years. And yeah. uh, I, I said, hey, look, teach me a little bit about what you do. Just give me a, a layman's explanation. I'll come in, I'll do some filming. Uh, uh -huh. And anything that I do, uh, you can have for free. And if you need That's promos or whatever, idea. 
uh, you know, if, if, if it's something that I can do, if my time allows, I'll put a promo together for you, uh, you know, yeah. for free. And so in the process, I got to be around this massive, uh, well, not massive, but a, a big microbrewery, learn yeah, a lot right. about how, how beer is made from a master brewer and hear a lot of the interesting stories. And I've got some yeah. great footage. Yeah, that's a really nice <laughs> Yeah. And now you can figure out like how you scale it for yourself. Like, do you just go out and buy a, you know, a kit, you know, have you, do your first batch at home from a, a kit? This is what my ex did. And then that turned into a kit plus hops, which turned into like actually making the stuff from the grain, you know, so you can start easy and then scale up. Yeah. Or start easy and stay easy. Right. <laughs> so what kind of link do you think exists between hobbies and careers? Because we've kind of ventured into that hobby end of things. Is there, is there a connection? What do you feel like? I feel like, hmm, look, when, like the things you do for your hobbies should be like absolutely the things that are your core skills that really give you joy, that then stretch you. Um, like you shouldn't be really trying to do hobbies that you're terrible at. So I think mostly our hobbies are things that we know we're good at. And certainly for me, my hobbies and my career use a lot of the same skills kind of at that foundational level, like the problem solving, you know, being creative, Mm -hmm. um, the, you know, actually kind of the, you know, production level of um, I need to actually do all the work to get to the end result. But I think you've got to be careful that your hobbies don't use like so much the same skill as your work that you end up burning yourself out you want them to be different enough that they are you shouldn't need a relief from work but you know what I mean like they're okay I've done my work I've used kind of the energy that I had for that and now I'm going to use a different style of energy like you don't want them so similar you wouldn't want to it would I certainly you see this in people they they work as a programmer and then their hobby is programming as well it uses all the same (laughs) um, energy cells yeah yeah. So I think they need to be different enough. I think that's why you 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 kind of recoil is way too strong of a word, but you, you, you kind of recoil at the idea of doing remote tutelage yeah. for, for sewing, right? Actually, probably, and, yeah. And yeah. I think that's probably why, right? Because it, it's yep. too much of an overlap. It's too close. Whereas yep. sitting down with somebody and, and laying your hands on theirs and showing them how to do a fold and having that yep. one-on-one relationship, that is far enough away that it doesn't yep. feel like you have the overlap and it doesn't use the same energy. Yep. Yeah. And if I were spending, you know, the majority of my time teaching face-to-face, then putting effort into like creating online content for like sewing teaching probably wouldn't feel like something I didn't want to do because it would be different enough. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I think I've probably said a few times, like I like both like flexibility and variety. So varying it matters a lot. So yeah, if I was already teaching sewing most days, then my hobby could be doing that online where yeah, when yeah. I'm like, working online and doing video calls all day, the idea of doing more of them, apart from the fact that, you know, I don't want to sit in this same chair longer. Yeah. Um, Like it's hard on your body to do the same thing over and over. I want to get out of my chair and not sit in front of this damn computer. (laughs) I think flexibility is one thing, but variety is also another uh, really, really Mm. important thing for for folks like us. So we're, we're just about out of time. I want to zoom out just a little bit and ask two questions before I kind of pass it over to you. And you've kind of addressed this already, so it can be the same answer. But if you could go back, what major decision would you change, if anything? So you you gave me a heads up on this and I actually was thinking about it. And I'm going to go right back to secondary school. And when I was in secondary school, I was really good at, you know, mathematics, physics, chemistry, the sciences. And, um, you know, this is the, this is the 80s. Um, there was no 
way of kind of finding out on the internet like what the world of work looked like. So you kind of relied on careers advisors and teachers. And everybody just kind of pushed me towards doing stuff like accounting. So I went to uni and did accounting. I wish that I knew that there was like either something like, you know, art restoration or, you know, costume restoration or something in historical costuming or historical fashion. I wish I knew that there was a thing there that could have been done because I wish I had have done something like that. Oh, that's awesome. Who knows where I would have ended up, but I wish I didn't just kind of, I wish I wasn't pushed along a line. Everybody's saying, she's good at math. She should do these things. Right, yeah. Um, I pushed back in that when I was in, we call it year 10. So I don't know, it's a couple of years before you finish schooling. And we had work experience. And everybody thought I should go and work in, a, in an accountant's office or a, you know, a bank or something. Sounds like uh, maybe an, an internship. No, it was only, it was within school and you did it for like, I don't know, three or four weeks to get, to get an idea for what a, what a, a job might be. Um, we call it work experience. Anyway, I went, I'm not going to do any of those things. I'm going to go work at a florist. <laughs> and everybody was horrified. Like, why would you go work at a florist? You're the smartest kid in school because you're telling me that I should do something else. <laughs> and did you love it? I did quite like it, yeah. And I still went to university and did accounting. Because, well, not only was, you know, anyway, I need, as I said, I needed, to, I needed to put groceries on the table. So I followed what people said that I should probably do. And uh, anyway, that's what I would undo. I would, I would do something from scratch mm-hmm. in the creative industries. And I... Um, well, I would, I would argue you probably could learn the same types of or apply your the same types of problem solving skills regardless of where yeah. you ended up so yeah it probably would have yeah. worked out um what is next for you and and maybe it's continuing to remodel and moving slowly towards that goal of having a an actual facility with actual students and uh, yeah. uh, slowly weaning off of all the the tech yep yeah, pretty much yeah we pretty much covered it and honestly i think this is the first time in my life where i've actually set a goal that feels right that doesn't feel like I'm just doing it because I need to do it for necessity, that I really want to do. Like I think about it all the time. It gives me tons of energy and I'm really driving towards it. I think it's the first time I've really had this in my whole life. So, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work towards teaching sewing. I, w- I will uh, follow you avidly and, and see where, where this ends up. Um, before we sign off, if you like, could you please tell us how we can find out more about you? If there's anything you'd like to share with our listeners, any uh, words of wisdom or causes that you'd like to make us aware of? Um, so to find me, so for folks who are listening, who, you know, use uh, like LinkedIn professionally, I'm easy to find on LinkedIn, but do please tell me that you, you know, met me here because um, it would be really nice to know that that's uh, how you heard about me. And, and sorry, you just look up Donna Spencer. Otherwise I'm uh, that's my main kind of social media. So that's the main place you can connect with me and follow me. I do okay. play in Twitter a little bit. Um, I've got an Instagram, but I don't do very much there and I can't remember my username. I can give it to you later though. My Twitter is Madonna with two A's at the beginning. So Madonna with two A's, that's a, a place to, to find me. I don't really have any causes not at the moment. Well, thank you so much, Donna. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed this as much as I have. I also hope this episode finds somebody out there at just the right time in their own life. Yes. And uh, this message really resonates. Maybe you're thinking of switching careers or writing a book, or maybe you just need to architect 
yourself out of a terrific mess of information. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of listeners, do you find folks out there? The only thing I ask is if you enjoyed this episode, if this chatter around the unique ways people end up in the roles is interesting to you, please leave a review on whatever platform you're listening to this on. And if you feel so inclined, like us on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. Until next time, stay focused on your why.